if we're talking about these customs and the defaults and the norms that make up our family culture, a lot of them are based around how we cope with our stress. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle. Light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Jody Chafee. Jody is the founder of Our Modern Heritage Academy, where she explores the significance of family culture in modern society and uses her unique background to help families design an intentional family culture of love, trust, unity, and strength. Her weekly podcast interviews featured experts in a variety of fields, offering strategies and resources for a successful family to thrive in a trust-driven environment. Welcome, Jody. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited to hear about how you're helping families and, you know, what you're doing in the in the world right now. But before we get into any of that, please tell our audience just a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So I am a mom to four kids that are 10 and younger, uh, and we've been homeschooling them for their whole lives. I use that term very loosely because homeschool to us doesn't really look like school at all. <laughs> but... Um, that's that's our that's our life. Um, my husband and I have been married for 14 years, and we have bounced around to to figure out what we need to accomplish with our life. Um, and at this point, we recently sold our home and our second car and liquidated everything that, that we could and moved in with my parents so that we could start a business. And so that's us in a nutshell. And I love learning about family culture and what makes families successful. And so that's been my obsession for the last three years or so. But if I were to just tell you that what my passion is, my passion is actually to be a singer. And so someday when I have all of this, these things that I'm, that I'm working on and these, these projects and things done, or I feel like they're under, under, on, you know, onto momentum, then I'm going to be a singer. (laughs) But that's me. (laughs) That's awesome. I was just telling her before we even started recording that it seems like our lives are paralleling so much. And now you say that you sold everything because we just actually did that not long ago too. We didn't move in with any parents yet, (laughs) but we did scale back things an awful lot. So that's really awesome. But I'd love to hear more background into what has led you to be really uh, passionate about, you know, helping families and stuff, kind of what, you know, what you feel like that life's mission other than singing might be and how you came to become that. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, when my husband and I got married, we thought we had this whole married life and life in general made, you know, because he and I, we have the same values. We have the same socioeconomic background. We're best friends, you know, so it was just like, wow, we've got this whole marriage thing in the bag. Like we're going to be so happy for the rest of our lives and we're in love and, and everything is great. Right. But soon after we got married, we started to run into stumbling blocks with direction. We wanted to go with life in general, because, you know, we were told all our life that if we just go to school and we get good grades, and we get into a good college and we continue to get good grades and we make the right kind of networking connections and things like that, then a job would be waiting for us and success is in the bag, right? But that did not happen for us. And we really hit some really heavy hurdles with trying to figure out our livelihood and our sense of self-worth in this, in a way. Um, we ended up moving to uh, Northern Virginia, which was like, Sometimes we go back and forth thinking that was the biggest mistake of our lives <laughs> and sometimes thinking, well, if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have made some certain progress and things like that. But Northern Virginia around Washington, D.C. is like one of the most expensive areas of the nation. And we were students and we were growing our family. And then we were encountering these kinds of hurdles where we didn't know what the future was really going to hold for us. My husband was working in downtown D.C. He was kind of underemployed because he was still working on his uh, graduate degree. 
but then he got the graduate degree. And so basically he felt like, well, aren't I entitled to, you know, promotion or, you know, things like that. But it was going to require more education for him to climb that corporate ladder. And it was something that he just felt like that was too much to sacrifice because he was already spending all day at work. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been to DC, Rebecca, but it's yeah, like it's a two hour commute to get 25 miles. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so he was already, you know, spending all this time on commuting and taking graduate school classes. And then his boss was like, yeah, you can move up in the company. You just need to get a law degree now. It was kind of interesting to him, but at the same time, that was going to be how many more years that he was going to be spending all day at work and evenings at school uh, and, then not, and then never being present at home. Not so only that, just, the cost of school. I mean, how, how many times do we go exactly, to school exactly. and we spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and the cost is never recouped. So, <laughs> my goodness. Exactly. Okay. Sorry. didn't mean to butt exactly. in. But. Exactly. It's the, the opportunity cost. It just wasn't worth it. Yeah, you're right. And so um, he graduated with his graduate degree around the time of the recession. And so when he started looking for other jobs, nothing was there. And he wasn't getting any kind of responses. And so uh, thankfully, a friend of his stepped up and said, hey, I've got this other job. It's commission-based, but you can make a lot of money within a certain amount of time or whatever. And it was one of those jobs that required a lot of investment of time and money. And at first, he was making a lot, but he was spending a lot of time, again, away from home and, and getting the, those hours in and those, and those jobs in and stuff. And he didn't have any time to develop himself. So again, we were just kind of like, wait, where's this heading? Is it really ever going to accomplish anything? Are we, you know, our dreams and our goals of other things ever going to be realized? And then we realized that maybe we fell into this problem because we didn't have the vision and the purpose in place. You know, maybe we were a little bit too flaky about it. And so we just, it wasn't that we got casual about the direction that we wanted to go as a family. We only really had like one option. It was either quit and start over <laughs> or just keep trying to establish at least a little bit of security. But through that path on that journey, it was like, wow, we're really miserable. And what's going to happen to our children if we're still miserable as they're growing up? And, you know, is this path that we took that has now led to our potential downfall really going to even be there as we're raising them? You know, how do we how do we raise them to be successful if jobs and things aren't going to be the same when they're adults or that a college education is really even um, debatable, whether that's a valuable option? So I just started questioning these things like, what does it really take to raise a healthy family? How to stick it through, you know, because I've known families who I thought were healthy and thriving because they're like, wow, these, this family is so phenomenal. And then you find out that they're not and they're getting a divorce and they're breaking up, you know, things like that. And so I was like, I didn't want that to be us first of all. And second of all, I really wanted to figure out how to raise our kids to thrive. And while I knew that educating them at home was what I always wanted to do, I wasn't sure what that would look like and how I was going to help them to really thrive and figure out what their life's mission is going to be. So I decided I'd start asking people, you know, and uh, in the homeschool world, there are people who have thought about these things and they teach it. And so I was like, well, I'll just reach out to, you know, these people who have powerful messages and talk to them about, you know, what does it take to survive, not just survive, but, but to thrive. And at the same time, I'd also been watching like the Olympics and I was like, these are kids. How did they decide that they were going to compete on a world level and to compete at the level where they are really proficient and really skilled? You know, that doesn't just happen, right? No, yeah. So I was like, how to raise healthy kids, how to raise thriving kids. And then how to help them to establish these kinds of goals where they actually want to do really grand things, you know? So I just was like, I'm going to start a podcast and start asking people questions and find out what it really takes. And if there's a formula that thriving families have or know about, you know, it's like, what are they so savvy about that? I don't know. And so I started asking and started to, to uncover what it really is, what it really takes to have a successful family culture. That's awesome. So that was my response. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always a good backstory. I know that to why, you know, you're passionate about what you're doing. I'd love to hear 
always love to hear what helps to move you in that authentic direction. Because I think, you know, uh, so much of your story, I think, is everybody's story. It's particularly our story. You know, we also heard that, that if you go to school, you know, we're both college educated and all that, that, um, you know, you were going to be happy and successful and the world was your oyster type of thing. And yeah, it's frustrating to be in your 40s and to be, this is not happiness. <laughs> this is not what I, you know, and, and I love the, the fact you talked about those struggles. Uh, do you feel like there were any other challenges that maybe you had along the way? Did you ever move back from North Carolina <laughs> or, you know, what, what are those main challenges that you had and then what did you learn from them? I mean, what was the takeaways from North Carolina? That was a really isolating time because of the struggles with figuring out our finances and raising our kids. And we were alone. We didn't have family out there or anything. That was a really big deal. But what I learned from it is that nobody is going to just hand you the life you want. Nobody is going to even rescue you. I mean, I had a community because we would go to church every week and things like that. I may have tried connecting with homeschool families, but anyways, that was a while ago. But it was like, even in our community, they didn't have any idea what we were going through. I mean, my husband would try to be like, hey, I'm looking for a job. And he would ask people like, hey, if you hear anything, I really would love to hear about it or, you know, things like that. You know, as much as we would try to make friends or we would try to network and things like that, nothing was ever reciprocated. And so we were just deeply isolated and going through the mental health things that we went through as a result of the grief that we were experiencing and things like that. And that was a time where it was just, you know, if we can't figure out how to get out of this funk ourselves, nobody else is going to hand us the secret formula, which sounds kind of discouraging. (laughs) But at the same time, like I decided that I was going to help and figure out those things myself and start asking, you know, what it is that I needed in order to recover from this. So, you know, I just started studying business books and personal development books and parenting books. And, and you know, I would go on and, and watch all of the homeschool conferences online or, or things like that. You know, I just became obsessed with trying to unlock my personal formula for happiness. It was hard because we didn't have anybody that had gone before us to like map out this route. And then the route that we were following, this, you know, check off these lists, that checklist failed us. And so we didn't have this like tried and true formula of where to go with our lives. And so being in Northern Virginia, like, and the struggles that we felt, the the deep isolation that we experienced made me at least realize that I have to create it. I have to write my own path. And so it's allowed me to then be like, to question everything. You know, I go, (laughs) you know, people saying to me, you should send your kids to school. It's a really good school. And then my reaction is, why? Why do you think it's better? Or why should I? Why can't I just keep my kids at home? Or, you know, if people are like, you should do X, Y, and Z. And I say, why? <laughs> you know, and, and I just deep down just kept questioning, like, why should I do those things? And is it really going to serve me and my family? Or is it really going to help me to fulfill what my mission is in order to serve other people or whatever? Or I've always, always, even in high school, questioned like the clicks or the like group mentality of things. You know, I would always be like, well, why? Why do I feel like if I'm not included with this particular group or whatever, then then therefore I have less value? Well, that's not true. (laughs) You know, so this deep isolation really caused me to just go, you know, I have to make my own future and I have to work it out and figure it out for myself. Yeah. Well, and I I love all of that because I think that's what challenge does for us, right? (laughs) It makes us start asking some questions, some really hard, deep questions that maybe if we wouldn't have the struggle and the challenge, we would have never gotten to that. Uh, Somebody once told me that our mission is defined or we help to find our mission through the highs and lows of our lives. And, And so I love to hear, you know, your struggles as well as the high times. But so how do you feel like like going through this experience to be able to ask those questions, being able to start your podcast to try to make your family much more strong as you're going through all of these difficult things. How do you feel like um, you've kind of changed your thought process through all of those experiences? Yeah, um, that's a great question because really what I learned from all of it is that we have to be intentional, that every family has a culture, but it's hard to sit back and observe or question or take 
inventory of what that culture looks like to decide what needs to change or what is working. You know, it could go both ways, right? Like you can either keep going with what works or you can take this inventory and say, these are the things that need to change and then to be deliberate about it. Because I think that, you know, so many of us, we just go, well, that's just the way it always has been. One of the stories I like to tell is how my kids and I were listening to The Secret Garden. And there's this great story in there where, you know, Mary shows up in this mansion and she expects her servant to dress her, right? Because her entire childhood, she'd been dressed by her ayah, you know? And then this, this maid is like, well, why would they do that? And she's like, I don't know. They just said, it's just the custom. It's just the custom. That was always their response for why they did things, even though they didn't understand why. And they would just say, it's just a custom. Well, I think that we get casual about our culture by saying, well, that's just the custom or that's just the way things have always been or that's just the precedent that had been set at some point and then nobody questions it going forward. And so when we come together as a family, we have to be intentional about what we value and where we want to go as a family. So here's another story that I like to share is that one of the things that helped me to learn about what family culture is is I was a missionary, my church in Hawaii, and um, there's a lot of cultures there, right? And there's a lot of intercultural families. And there's a lot of new couples who go to school there at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. And so I was serving there, and we happened to have a meal appointment with this couple who were from different countries. And as soon as we walked in the house, there was like super tension. It was like, they were having a lover's bat, like big time. <laughs> and I you know I've never, I'd never been married. I didn't know what that was all about, but I was just like, ah, how can I help you? The ironic thing too, is that my companion and I were also from those two countries that this couple was from. So that was kind of fun. So their conflict was exactly that they were from different cultures and they had been to something where they, they were told that um, intercultural marriages are discouraged, that they're bound to fail. And so they were upset about hearing that message, but also they were upset because they were butting heads about their cultural background. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, maybe just families are forever. And then, <laughs> and then I just like, you know, my companion just like ran. We're just like, I'm sorry, goodbye. You know, I don't know. It was like, it was the hardest thing to like, I didn't know what to do. And then I'm walking away from it going, oh my goodness, what happens if I meet and marry somebody that's from a different country? But then it occurred to me, we could have completely the same background, but because we're families, we have a different culture. And then uh -huh. I was like, oh my gosh, just being a man and a woman, you have different culture, you know? And yeah. so <laughs> I was kind of freaked out because I was just like, how do you do that? How do you make that work? There's a senior couple there and he was from Tonga and she's American. And I was just like, okay, how have you guys had this like, you know, decades long marriage and made this work? And I loved asking him that because it was like, being in the the visitor center, you know, we're, we're always sitting up there waiting for guests and stuff like that. And, and so when there were no visitors, I just was like, how do you, I asked the, the elder, you know, how do you do this? He had this thick gravelly voice with his tongue and accent, you know, and he got real serious and he slashed his hand. He's like, you forget about where you come from and you adopt the church culture as your new family culture. And I was like, oh, what? You know, it, it just like my head just like exploded because because I was thinking about in our church, you know, there are, are a lot of systems in place to strengthen families. You know, we encourage family meetings and family home evenings and reading the scriptures together and, you know, doing all these things. And so it was like, oh, I get it. You know, those are the systems that you need to come together and agree that you're going to do as a family because you just have to adopt or agree that you have the same values at, at the beginning or forget about the values where you come from, maybe, <laughs> and which was hard for me to hear and feel like, wow, he's from Tonga, which is like a very rich cultural heritage and just the beautiful people. And on one hand, he doesn't completely abandon it because, you know, that's part of his heritage and, it, and his children's heritage going forward. But as far as like principles and values and practices go, he was basically saying you have to come together and agree on what that looks like for your family. And be intentional about it. Because if you just expect to just be able to go, well, love each other, then I coast through and everything's going to be okay. Well, at some point, you're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to hit, you know, conflicts. You're going to hit these things that are like detours on your trip to navigate your family, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to figure out. So you have a strategy in place to not only agree what your values are, but also have a vision of where you're going and what you're going to do when you hit those roadblocks how to cope with those things. Yeah. Very powerful.
Yeah. As you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, when I was growing up, divorce was a very, you just never heard about couples just stayed together because that's what you did. Nobody really built a family culture. It wasn't really important. You know what I mean? Like you just, you married that person and you stuck with them no matter what. But nowadays, I think, uh, especially as we're coming into that, you have a lot of kids that don't even want to get married because the family culture was so bad that they don't want anything to do with it. And then you have a lot of people that are asking, like, why? Why stay together if we're not happy and, you know, if we make the kids miserable and all that kind of stuff? So how do you feel like your message is a little bit more disruptive to the industry? I mean, we hear a lot about family podcasts that help to, you know, I'm thinking of a a couple different ones that I know of, like, focus on the family or, or things like that, that talk about, you know, developing that family culture. But how do you feel like you're being a little bit more disruptive in that scheme? And what are your unique ideas involved in that? I feel like I pulled together a formula for what it takes to be deliberate. Family culture is like navigation, right? Even Stephen Covey talks about in the beginning of his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, he talks about how even on a flight, you're going to be off course 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah. But you have to just keep correcting your course. You need to have this course correction all the time. But it starts with having a destination. Okay. But even before that, you've got to figure out what your vehicle is. He talks about a, a passenger jet or something. And what I relate that to is, you know, understanding what your family culture is is the beginning because family culture is the vehicle that's going to carry your family. And so it's like, what does that look like? What do you identify as? What is it that makes you who you are? That's your vehicle. And then the next thing is understanding your destination. Where are you going? And along that way, you know, how are you going to get there and why? You know, the destination is just one part of the formula or of the piece of the puzzle. You have to know where you're going, but then you got to understand, you know, why is it important to get to that destination? If we have this vision, our destination, our mission, our goal someday is to arrive where all of our kids are sitting down to a family Christmas dinner and everybody's happy. Everybody loves each other, right? That's the like ultimate destination. But then you got to think, okay, but why and how are we going to get there? We need a vision of what that really looks like and what that really feels like. And then you also need to know where your true north is as you're navigating because things are going to come up and try to buffet you away from your destination. And if you don't know where your true north is, then you're going to start going, I don't know what I'm doing. Wait, my kid just did something really horrible. I need to punish them now. Is that really aligned with your values to like just slam your kid and make them feel really bad and shame them? Why not? Because that's their punishment. They need to feel what they've done. Okay, but. If you really know what your values are, when you put your real values in place, you go, okay, our destination is to be a happy family someday, 20 years in the future, and we can all sit down to a Christmas dinner and be happy. If I completely alienate that kid and shame him and feel like junk because he did something really stupid, is that working us towards that goal? Maybe not. Okay, so what's the solution? Well, if you don't have your values in place to know how to deal with that question, then you're going to just respond out of impulse or you're going to be reactive rather than proactive. So having those values in place allows you to be intentional. So keeping this example of the kid did something stupid. Well, my ultimate vision and our our value is connection over punishment. Then I'm going to deliberately connect with that child to work through whatever it is that they did and help them and mentor them and teach them to learn a lesson rather than just punishing them and shaming them. That's great. Because there's a lot of things that people value, right? If my core value was to be healthy, then as a family, if we're going, okay, we want to go out to dinner, then nobody is going to be like, well, I want this or I want that. Well, we're going, well, remember what our core value is. So let's go somewhere we can all pick something that's generally healthy. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So it's more than just a parenting style because, you know, I believe in like authoritative parenting, right? But what does that even look like? And what does that entail when you come to your child and you have expectations? And they have expectations. And how do you communicate that with your child and maintain the expectations or or intentions that you have for your family? Well, it starts with being clear on your destination, being clear on your vision, being clear on your values so that you establish trust in your family. Because really, that's what it comes down to. If my child comes to me and tells me they did something really stupid, it's because they trusted me to not rail on them. And when I go to my child and I say, well, you disappointed me, you violated my trust, they go, you're right, and I'm really sorry. And then we maintain that relationship. And it becomes a trust relationship. 
where they trust me to clothe them and feed them and bathe them, you know, to provide for them. I trust them to be able to learn and develop responsibility and skills and to answer when I'm like, hey, I asked you to do this thing and I trusted you to do it. So there's like this reciprocal trust relationship thing going on more than just, well, I need to be an authoritarian parent. Therefore, you know, it's no, this, this, it always comes back to connection and trust. Those are some of the principles that I teach. And then I go into also how you maintain your vehicle through your communication systems and then how you cope with those sidetracks, how you stay on track. <laughs> you know, if we're going back to the cubby analogy of saying, you know, we have to course correct 90% of the journey. Well, you know, every time we encounter something that's going, well, my child has depression. Okay, how do I cope with this? Or I have depression. How do I cope with this? Because that's what I had to go through, right? After all that time in Virginia. Or like, oh my gosh, the day-to-day is so stressful. How do I cope with this? You know, that it comes back to our coping strategies because if we're talking about these customs and the defaults and the norms that make up our family culture, a lot of them are based around how we cope with our stress. You know, if we come home at night and we want to decompress by sitting down and having a beer and watching TV, that becomes our culture. Or the mommy wine culture is a big thing right now. You know, that it's like, this mom thing is so hard. I need to sit down and have my glass of wine morning, noon, and night. Well, that's becoming your culture. And our children are seeing it. And that's how they're going to learn how to cope with what they're struggling with. And next thing we know, we, our child is an alcoholic. <laughs> you know, so it comes back to how we, are we coping with the things that we're struggling with? How are we coping when you know, we have an argument and upset and we just go, well, forget it. I just want to throw in the towel. No, there's like strategies that we need to have in place for how we cope constructively with the things that we deal with as a family. So those are really the main principles that I teach that it's more than that, just the way we parent. Oh, well, and I was thinking, you know, family structure is so multifaceted. I mean, you not only have your marriage, you have the beginning relationship, but then you have all of these tiny little, you know, offspring that come from it, and then how you interact with your spouse, and then how that affects your interactions with your kids, and how your kids' interactions come into play in the marriage. I mean, it just goes back and forth of, of things. But I, mean, exactly. I, don't, I don't want you to give away all your formulas, but maybe give us just some key points of maybe that beginning message of basically how you build a family culture, maybe why you build a family culture, how you build a family culture and, and what you can do yeah, no, to make it stronger. It, yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, there's a lot because every family has a culture, right? And so well, and you just like have to come together and habits, right? I mean, you were saying like every night, if you come home. A lot of it comes from habits because you have to evaluate and be able to recognize when those habits kick in, you know, there's always a trigger and then there's your response and then there's a reward you get out of that response. There always is. And so, yeah, you can figure out what habits are working and what's not and then try to figure out what the trigger is. You know, if the trigger is coming home from work, feeling stressed out, and then the reward is that you're able to decompress, figure out what's in between the trigger and the reward. That's actually something that's going to be constructive rather than destructive, because there are ways to cope constructively, right? You can get a boost and a high out of music, dancing, exercise, you know, art, you know, any of these things that are actually constructive, that give us that boost in the energy that we need. Or maybe it's in the morning before work, I have to take some time to meditate and give myself some grace, (laughs) you know, things like that. And so it's evaluating those habits and figuring out what's working and what's not, and then come together as a family to decide, especially those three core ones, you know, what is our destination? What is your mission, basically? What is your mission? That's the destination where you want to end up. And then you figure out your vision, like, why did you get started? What do you want to accomplish out of this? And how are you going to arrive at your destination? And then you need to figure out what your core values are, because ultimately, that's going to base your decisions going forward around your core values. If you don't know what your core values are, you get casual and you're just like, well, I don't know. <laughs> and what about, you know, and then have a time that you plan to sit down regularly to discuss this stuff because you need to have a, a communication system in place to figure out how to come together and decide what your collective values are and your vision and mission more than just like your standards and rules, you know, because I think that a lot of times we hear that, oh, well, we're going to establish these rules that our kids need to follow, right? We all have to follow these X, Y, and Z rules. But then they're going, well, why? 
why so that mom and dad can lord over us why you know and and so (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's so much more to it you can't just it's not a boss and subordinate situation if you look at it like that then you are going to have a breach in that trust relationship that I mentioned but parents need to look at it as mentor and mentee you know and it's a stewardship it's a role that we play in order to be a team not just well I'm the boss and so you do what I say you know kids are going to question that (laughs) that's their job like they want to figure this stuff out they want to understand and see integrity you know if you say see as I do as I say not as I do or things like that then that's what they're going to tap into. And that's what's going to become your culture more than if you just tell them what to do or lord over them and say what they have to do. You know, it has to be an equal type of a relationship where you're coming together to agree what those things are and come up with values and a vision more than this is the rule. This is the law. (laughs) Stay by it and we'll be happy. Well, no, people don't. If everybody's not on board, then you're just going to create conflict. Well, do you have any suggestions, too, for families that are kind of halfway through it? You know, like my kids are half grown, you know, and I've got some that are are gone now. But I can see more and more, like you said, if there's not like this big why at the end, I mean, it's going to end up being a cat's in the cradle kind of thing, you know, where you're always wanting to have that close relationship with your kids. But because you didn't put the work into it, you know, in the interim of things. Um, they're just off doing their own thing too, you know, and basically living out those habits that you taught them. Do you have any, um, like any strategies maybe for families that are halfway through it? Yeah, I think that's a good question because you're right. Like my parents, my siblings were all grown up and everybody's off doing their own thing and, and have completely different values. But my parents definitely want to have that relationship with all of us, you know, and it really takes humility, I think, on the part of the parents to gather their children all together and just say, look, I want to have a good relationship with all of you. And in the past, maybe we haven't done everything the way we would have liked, but we're learning something new. And we want to be able to establish some routines that help us to strengthen our relationships and then have a discussion about it. What does that look like? What are the experiences that you can have as a family that you want to have? We tried this in my family, actually. (laughs) And I think it worked. We, We really came together and we were just like, Okay, ultimately, we know that our parents are getting old and we are older and, you know, we need to figure out what our family, what we want our family looks like going forward. Well, basically, going forward, we are all just going to be doing our own thing. But in order to stay together, we have to establish a zone of zero judgment because, you know, and that, again, goes back to that trust relationship thing, because if there's any judgment, especially when they're all adults getting to that point of teenagers, because that was one of our situations too. My brother and I were teenagers and my older siblings are going, oh, mom and dad, you baby them or whatever. And it's like, look, if we want to have a good relationship and we want to come together and establish these kinds of you know, mission, vision, values and things that we want as a family, then we have to come together and have a no judgment zone and just let go of your judgments. Like <laughs> suspend judgment. It's an important principle. Like in order to have a trust relationship, you can't bring your judgments to the table. And if things arise, you have to be able to talk about them cordially and civilly and without judgment. Like this just happened, you know, I live with my parents now, right? So I'm learning about their relationship and the way that they interact with each other. And um, they were having kind of a disagreement. And my mom goes, you always blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, wait, stop right there. (laughs) You know, first of all, you said in a definitive thing, like always is like you're saying that he never doesn't do that. Right, right. And besides that, You just passed a judgment that ends the conversation. He's not going to want to go on with this discussion because you just made a value statement of judgment about his character. And so that's just going to automatically close off the conversation. Discussion's over. Obviously, you can't trust me anymore because you just made a judgment statement. And so as our kids grow up, they are going to make their own choices. They're going to become their own people. You know, they're going to take whatever it is that they got out of their life growing up, right? Right. And they're going to go off and live lives that whether or not you agree with, whether or not you agree with it, they're going to move on. Right. But if, if they come home and all they hear is judgment, then you are breaking that trust relationship and they can't, it's just impossible to thrive in that environment. And so it really needs to be a zone of zero judgment where you just let go and go, okay, whatever it is, even when they're little, <laughs> And the teenagers, 
you can coach them and you can mentor them and you can tell them about your experience. But even then, they're going to make their own choices. And when they come back and say, ah, that was a mistake, they didn't come back to us for us to judge them. They came back to us because they needed connection. They needed uh, um, empathy. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> they need empathy and connection. And they trust you to love them unconditionally as a parent. Right? And so, and you have to say, I told you so, or things like that. Right? Like, they already know. Especially if you have been already been teaching them and coaching them and talking to them and you've established your own modeling the behavior of the culture that you want, then they need to have a safe space where they come back and say, I need connection, I need empathy, and mom and dad should be that foundation, right? And so that's really my advice about that. Just it needs to be a no judgment zone and just be like, okay, we're not going to do, we just want to be together. (laughs) And we know you guys all have your separate lives. We just want to be able to come together and make this as pleasant as we can, or at least be able to talk about things that, that arise without judgment. Yeah, it's hard once those hurts are there, you know, to break down those walls, uh, for sure. I, I see that with older families all the time. And you know, my mom, she's in her 70s, and her and her sister still struggle to have, you know, some kind of civility just because of all the garbage that went on before, but to come back with some humility and to do the non-judgment. I mean, it's so hard to set that precedence. And I, I think in, in your own family, too, like, uh, when I watch my kids and I look at things that they're doing that I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that. So many times if I look in my own life, I can see where they're picking that up, you know, from me. <laughs> because a lot of what they learn is reflective of us, you know, of the kind of people that we are. I'd love to hear more, yeah. too, like about your podcast and how, I mean, you said you, you know, you wanted to learn from other people of, um, you know, how to develop these good family cultures. Um you know, and we, we talked before we started recording that you're going through a whole rebranding process, but can you tell us a little bit more like about what people can find when they, you know, tap into those things? Yeah. So in the past, and you can still access all of the past episodes, I was really bent on talking to people who are kind of experts or people who had achieved success because of their family culture. You know, I have a friend of mine who was a um, in the Olympics. He was an Olympic athlete in the Paralympics playing wheelchair basketball. And he had an amazing strategy for how his dad helped him shape his vision of his life. Those are amazing interviews. Those have really shaped my belief about what a successful family culture is. So all those interviews are incredibly valuable. And those people that I talked to, just some really amazing strategies that if it's like, if your family culture is around health, I've interviewed health experts. I interviewed, if your family culture, you want to uh, revolve it around having healthy family dinners or mealtime and things like that. I have a really good interview with uh, someone from the Ellen Satter Institute. Or if your family culture is about, you know, organization and decluttering and minimalism and things like that. I have some really good interviews with those kinds of people who have that expertise and experience and strategies. And so those kinds of discussions are going to be within my Facebook group going forward, where I'll be talking with those those kinds of experts where they can share their strategies. On the podcast, I will be interviewing people who have gone through the same kind of journey as I have, where they, they decided to deliberately make a change, especially around starting a business or that they recognize that that path of, you know, the checking off the boxes of going to school and getting good grades and getting a job didn't work, right? Or that they get there and they're miserable, you know? Um, and so they deliberately made a change. And so I, I want to talk more with those kinds of people who have made that change, why they made that kind of change, why it was so important and why it was important as a family and how it impacted their family going forward. Because that's how, what I learned from my experience is that I've been able to be a more deliberate parent and more deliberate in just taking care of myself. And I think that as I talk to these people, they're going to have ideas and strategies that they're going to share through their stories of how they've been able to accomplish those things. And so that's what going forward, the podcast is going to be focusing more on people who have a story about making a decision to be more intentional and change their life, really, and adapt it more towards having a more deliberate outcome for their family rather than just sticking with the status quo, right? Like, that's what it comes down to is like the status quo. At some point, you're going to go, why? Why am I living this way? (laughs) And um, so I want to be able to talk to people who have taken that leap of faith and decided that they were going to do something about, you know, why they, they were feeling they were incomplete and how they were able to find that completeness. And so there's going to be some um, extra content within the Facebook group again, like I mentioned, and um, just diving more into their stories. So I'm really interested in the stories. Well, and it will <laughs> oh, yeah. still, it will 
it'll still uh, revolve around uh, creating healthy family cultures, right? I mean, uh, some of it will definitely be about your own yeah. personal journey, but your own personal journey of how to change that culture uh, to make it a little bit more healthy. I think that's that's so key. Like a, like I said, I mean, we grew up in a time when divorce was an option. So people just, I mean, it, it's just stuck together just because. And now we're seeing where, you know, that is an option and people are going, okay, I don't even know how to, I mean, most of us were off to school. <laughs> you know, we had no idea what was going on uh, at home anyway. And then we were building our culture with our friends and stuff, but nobody really taught us that formula. And I think that's so key to having good relationships. You know, when, when I think about my life, all the things that I've been through, those relationships that I have developed are the most important ones. You know, I think that's the big why at the end of the day is like, don't they do surveys like that where, you know, on your deathbed, you know, what, what do you wish you would have done more? And right. the, the answer is always, I wish I would have spent more time with my family or developed those relationships more so than even the monetary success and all of right. those kinds of things. So right. it's such an important topic. Well, and, and then we see the, I mean, I'm just doing a bunch of whys of why this is so important to have good family structure. But, you know, we're talking about the economic gap, you know, and, and it's just widening. And part of that is because we still have families that break up actually have a lower economic scale, less opportunity for your children because of that. And because there's just that extra bit of drama with the dating and, and all that that the spouses are doing, it's causing so much extra stress for our children. They don't perform well in school. I mean, aren't these some good whys of why to keep that family culture healthy and vibrant and alive? I mean, have you done any studies like that even of why that's so important? Yeah, I mean, I haven't dived, I have not dove so much into the statistics. I just know that that families are culture at large is more discouraging of families than it is oh, encouraging. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. the you know, political scene, uh, abortion, I mean, all these kinds of things. It's like the default is becoming, why do I need to have a family? But there's all those studies that demonstrate, you know, having a mom and a dad, your kids are going to be more resilient. But knowing where you come from and understanding your family history stories, you're going to be, your kids are going to be more resilient. Um, you know, there's all of those things that, if you have a plan or you have encouragement, if you have a supportive, non-judgmental adult in your life, you know, I watched this TEDx talk that was like kids who are able to thrive and be resilient are able to cope with the pressure to perform and the fear of failure because they have something somewhere, somehow and someone. Okay. I would send you the link or something to this because it was like, wow, that's so true. So the, the somewhere is a destination, you know, having a place that they want to end up that's productive like their personal mission somehow is the vision of how they're going to accomplish that so a, a roadmap of how to accomplish their somewhere something power that supports them through their struggles and then someone is a non-judgmental adult to mentor them through and that's the best way to find those things are within our a family that can support them and mentor them through to find their and how to get there and there's studies about families who have mealtime together are more resilient or families, you know, all these different things that if we are, if we're just coasting or we're being, you know, casual about our families, then our children are going to be raised by social media and by their friends and by the culture that's telling them that they can be whatever, like promiscuous and you know, all these kinds of things that we're going, wait, those are destructive uh, behaviors and uh, addicts and things like that. I mean, you have to be proactive because the world is going to shove these things in their faces. They're going to shove them into front of pornography and drugs and all those kinds of things. And if the kids are going, well, I don't have support at home anyways, well, who cares? You know, or, or if they're having so much pressure to perform at school in, on the other side of the spectrum of, you know, not pornography and drugs, if they're good kids and they're going, well, I've got all this pressure, I can't deal with it. And then where do they turn? There's also a lot of studies out there about kids who are good kids who have what they call a failure to launch because they didn't have any systems and strategies in place to help their children to grow up. You know, they're just they never got the big mission for themselves, children. Exactly. So they didn't, they didn't have the mission and in order to have that kind of resilience that helps them to cope with the struggles of adulthood. And so if you aren't deliberately trying to shape these kinds of experiences, shape their values, shape their mission and their vision for their lives, then they're going to, even if they're good kids, they're going to grow up and just be big kids, <laughs> you know? And so, 
it's like just having the, those strategies in place to be deliberate. I mean, even if you're off course 90% of the time, right? At least you're working on it, you're being deliberate, you're trying, and your kids will see you modeling that behavior and that it is important to you. That's how things just begin to take shape. I mean, you don't have to sit down and force them to read scriptures for an hour or anything like that or whatever. Like it's just being consistent and deliberate is really what's going to establish those things for your family. And, and yeah, there are definitely studies out there that prove that these things are true. (laughs) It's just hard to implement without support. Yeah. So that's why I'm here. Yeah. Well, and families are so good for the people that helped create them. Those people that are, are married. I mean, that's another study that I've heard that it actually, people are healthier when they're in a healthy marriage relationship. Well, um, there's so many other questions I would love to ask you. I still have like half a list, but let's just kind of, let's just kind of wrap it up with, let's talk about um, maybe where you see this heading with the, the modern heritage and the kind of cultures that we're going to develop, um, kind of those long-term goals and that legacy part. Yeah, I really want to really start a movement, helping people just to wake up and just go, whoa, whoa, that culture is it's there. You know, there's like this joke where that's like the, the goldfish and it passes another goldfish and, and it says to the other, Hey, how's the water today? And the first one goes, what's water? You know? And it's like so many of us just in our environment thinking, Oh, this is just how it is. Well, it's like, we don't even recognize that it's something that is there or, you know, we just kind of go, well, that's just what it is. So anyways, I, I really want to start like a movement around this idea that, you know, we can be deliberate. We don't have to just accept, you know, any toxic cultures that are coming down the line from us. So, you know, we can be deliberate. We can shape these things. We can figure out what our, you know, our collective vision, mission, and values are for our families. And so that's what I want to help and create is coaching families through that journey. And um, I'm building out a course that they can take that, that will give them the foundation for establishing your family culture. And I'm working on building a community just on Facebook you know, where people can come and just learn these things. I'll be teaching some principles inside of the Facebook group to talk about, you know, how to establish these kinds of strategies for our family. Because ultimately, the legacy that I want to build is that, you know, living intentionally, not just going along and accepting things because that's the way that it is, right? Like, there are ways to move forward in a healthy way that's you doing it awake, you know, consciously, not just being reactive, but being proactive about where you're going for your future. And um, so that's really the legacy that I really want to, to establish. That's what I've been working on with my own family and like my children, you know, going, you know, this is, I never want you to just say, well, I guess since we only have one option, we'll just keep moving with that option. It's like, no, you can figure it out and find ways and write your own script and be deliberate about where you're going and what you want to create. Well, I love the deliberateness. Sorry, I love being deliberate because uh, I think when we are deliberate about anything, uh, it helps create a sense of happiness that we never had before. And so I think that's that personal satisfaction that we all get when we, you know, there's so many, like I said, this is a multifaceted uh, relationship thing that's going on. But the most important thing is yourself and feeling, you you just don't want to have a family and just be miserable forever. But if you think if it's intentional and you're being very deliberate about everything and you're making those decisions and choices you're going to be so much happier in the long run about you know with what you end up with um, versus just going along with the flow because the flow of society isn't the best <laughs> place to be in right. anyway so well I think though Rebecca that some people they hear me talking about all this stuff and they're going wow that sounds like a lot of work I don't know this sounds like a lot to do with being deliberate you know but it's like if you think about it the outcome is so much better because actually you end up cutting out things that are exhausting. (laughs) You know, if you go, you know what, that's not serving my family and I'm miserable. That's just not part of our values. Then, you know, if, if, you know, a friend of mine, you know, there's this culture like Pinterest culture, right. That, that people get really bogged down in. They're like, Oh, I've got to have a Pinterest worthy house all the time. And, or, or whatever. And it's just like, if that's not serving you, if you don't feel like that's a valuable thing for your family, cut it out, you know? And so, it's not that this is something that is like adding to your to-do list. It's something that's going, you know what? Actually, our family does really well if we just sit in the living room and have family dinner or or whatever. Or we all have crazy things going on in the evening. So we're just going to stop dealing with that and we're going to have breakfast or something. You know, whatever it is. Like there's all these messages out there telling you this is what a happy family looks like. 
if you're X, Y, and Z and you appear a certain way. But if you look at that stuff and you're going, those things sound exhausting. I do not want to have stuff on the shelf every Christmas. Thank you very much. Then don't <laughs> do it. I don't want you know? to move like, a stupid thing around every night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Well, and, and sometimes it does take a little bit of work, like you said, to to figure out what it is that you, what those core values are that you have. But once you have that and you can kind of pair those things off, uh, like you said, it's so much easier because you, you're not playing a game you know, basically of being somebody that you're not because what our society is telling us is very exhausting. And I think most of us feel that, right? We feel exhausted because we're trying to be all things to everybody and we can't. So I'd love to hear like part of I don't need to get my kids advantaged all the time. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I'd love to hear your parting advice for our listeners and then give us your contact information where they can find out more about building this healthy family culture. I guess my parting advice is, well, part of it is you do you, you know, you have to figure out what you value and be proactive about it. Don't just sit there and go, well, it is what it is. If you're miserable, that's never going to serve you. So, you know, be proactive and come together to have a non-judgmental discussion with the people in your family that you want to establish these changes with and be able to talk about those things and be authentic about it. So that's my parting advice, I guess, is be authentic, be non-judgmental, be proactive. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And you can find me at uh, ourmodernheritage.com. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook with the handle Family Culture Podcast. So that's where I post. That's awesome. Well, it's been so fun talking with you. Um, again, we've been talking with podcaster Jody Chafee. You can find her information at ourmodernheritage.com. She's also on Facebook, Instagram. I think that's where I found her is on Instagram. And then YouTube. She's got some great content already out. Uh, it sounds like she's switching gears, becoming a little bit more niche down, which is awesome. Uh, we're going to be sure to link all that information that we discussed today on our website. But thank you so much, Jody, for coming on just talking to us about all of this i really enjoyed learning from you thank you thanks rebecca i really had fun thank you for listening to the luminous mind music featured in this episode from scott holmes to learn more about our podcast check us out at theluminousmind.net